Hey there, my name is Nathan Agin. This is The Working Actor's Journey, bringing you in-depth conversations with actors that have been working professionally for decades. Now available is the new guide, 12 Top Acting Tips from Season 1. I put this together from the over 19 hours of content from Season 1, and it contains great quotes and ideas from all the guests about pursuing an acting career. You can grab your free copy at workingactorsjourney.com slash sign up. That link is also in the podcast description. Wherever you're listening to this, if you find the description for this episode, depending on your player, you can click the link and go right there and get the guide or put that into your browser. So go check out these fantastic acting tips at workingactorsjourney.com slash sign up. We're back with the final re-airing of text work sessions from season one this week with Peter Van Norden from episode number seven. You can also listen to the previous sessions covering contemporary verse, Tom Stoppard, Noel Coward, and a few different looks at Shakespeare. And if you enjoy the text work, I highly encourage you to check out the full episode with the guest as they are packed with just so much candor, honesty, wisdom, and ideas on life as a working actor. They are fantastic conversations. Today, Peter will be talking about a speech from Harold Pinter's play, The Hot House, which Peter appeared in earlier this year, and it happened to be directed by Nikki Dukas from episode number six, and if you were listening, the text work session on contemporary verse. What I really love about this session with Peter is you hear how he is still figuring things out. When we recorded the interview, he was still in rehearsals for the show, so not everything was known. He was still asking questions, and he wasn't really sure exactly where he would ultimately arrive with this piece. And what I think is great is we are along for that journey of discovery of what is this piece going to become. It's a great session. I'm really thrilled that I'm able to re-air all of these episodes for everybody listening. So here we go with Peter. Please enjoy the text work. By the way, did you come up with any kind of text uh, or anything that you'd be able to share how you kind of approach it? I've been looking at this piece that from Hot House, from this next play that I'm doing, the Tias, this Pinter piece, and there's a, there's several monologues in it that the character has, and there's one, his very last monologue, which um, I've been working on a lot, and, it, and I find it very challenging, this piece, for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think there's something maybe to be learned from that as I'm learning from it, because I'm not really sure where I'm going to end up with it myself, but I'm actually working on it as we're doing this interview. So it's kind of in my mind in terms of how I approach it and what I think it needs and how best to bring it to life, because it's an odd piece. It's a very, very odd piece. So I'm happy to go through that with you or part of it. Yeah, sure. Or something. Well, whatever you'd like to share. So this is this is a character. I mean, nobody. It's a, a play that a Pinter play that almost nobody knows. The Hot House. He wrote it in 1958, uh, right after he wrote Birthday Party. Um, Birthday Party, of course, was a huge flop when it first opened, and so he thought, well, I guess I'm not a very good playwright. And he took the Hot House and stuck it in a drawer, pulled it out again in 1980, and said, yeah, this is a pretty good play. I think I'll produce it. So he produced it again in 1980, and it's. Uh, I think it's a really interesting play. 
it's dark. It's dark and very funny. Very, very crazy funny. I call it a cross between Pinter and Orton and Stoppard. That's kind of the British tone to it that, that's dark and, and funny. Um, and this character is the head of an asylum. We don't quite know what kind of asylum it is. We assume it's a mental institution. Um, he's been the head of it for quite some time, and he is in the early stages of dementia. And he can't remember anything. He's having trouble remembering who the patients are, or what patients he's seen, or what patients have been treated, or what's happening in the asylum itself. And it's a, it, you know, the play is a sort of a study of British bureaucracy and the failures of the state institutions in Britain at the time. And his uh, his last speech, his girlfriend in the piece, who's, who realizes that he's really starting to lose it. She sort of, in a very odd way, challenges him. He's supposed to give a Christmas address to the staff, to the staff and to the patients. He's supposed to give his yearly Christmas address. And she challenges him. He's been shying away from making it because he, in his heart of hearts, he thinks he probably can't do it. He probably will get lost in the middle of it in his dementia. Um, so he's been terrified of doing it. And she puts a lot of pressure on him towards the end of the play to say, you know, you better show me that you can do this. You better show me that you can step up and be a man. Or, you know, this relationship is over. And uh, so he has this this speech that he does, which is it's such an interesting speech because 90% of it is a bunch of banal platitudes that people make. Like if you've ever listened to the Christmas address that Queen Elizabeth gives, it's the dullest thing you've ever heard, you know. Merry Christmas to you all, and the prosperous New Year, and blah, 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 and it's a great country, and we hope that everything is hunky-dory in the years. I mean, and people just fall asleep, right? And this, this speech is filled with those platitudes, but underneath that is this desperate man who's trying to regain some sense of his worth, trying to prove to this girl who's in the room with him that he can do it, uh, and at the same time, um, do this sort of successful platitude-ridden speech to people of the of the of the hot house. Um, so it, it it's a very interesting tone that you've got to find in in this piece, um, and, and that's a real challenge for actors. You know, if you push it where it doesn't want to go, it's not not right. It's if you try to push the comedy of it. It gets boring after a while. It doesn't. It lacks reality. So you have to find you have to find that line between the absurdity of it, the desperateness of it, the neediness of it, and the reality of it. The reality of this man trying to give a speech. And, that, and so all those things have to be taken into account in how you musically score this three-page monologue. It's a long monologue. And that's a real challenge. That's a real challenge so that people don't get bored with it, so people understand the connection that it has to the rest of the play. And that, in fact, it's right at the end of the play. It's the last thing he says. That it ha- it's, it's obviously making some kind of point, that Pinter is making some kind of point here. That's what it's about. <laughs> um, I'm happy to read it to you. And, and I, think you'll, I think you'll see what I'm talking about in, in, the, in, this, in the sense of it. Patients, staff, and understaff. A Merry Christmas to you all, and a happy and prosperous New Year. And on behalf of all the staff, I'd like to wish all the understaff the very best of luck for the year to come, 
and a very happy Christmas. And to the patients, I should like to send a personal greeting to each and every one of them, wishing them the heartiest compliments of the season and the very best wishes on behalf of the staff, uh, the understaff, and myself. Uh, not forgetting the ministry, which I know would be glad to be associated with these words for a healthy, happy, and prosperous new year. <sighs> we have had our difficulties in the year that is about to die, our little troubles, our little sorrows, as well as our little joys. But through working together, through each and every one of us pulling his weight, no matter how lowly or apparently trivial his job, by working, by living, by pulling together as one great family, we stand undaunted. We say goodbye to the old year very soon now, and we hail the new. But I say to you as we stand before these embers, that we carry with us from the old year uh, things which will stand us in good stead in the new, and we are not daunted. Since I last spoke to you, I have traveled far, I have seen many lands and many peoples, and today I have received greetings and gifts from many of my cousins who reside in other lands, far-off lands, and they tell me that over there things are not really very different to over here. Customs may differ, languages may differ, but men are the same the whole world over. Some of you, sitting at your loudspeakers tonight, may sometimes find yourselves wondering whether the little daily hardships, the little daily disappointments, the trials and tribulations which seem continually to dog you are, in the end, worth it. To you, I would say one simple thing. Have faith. Yes, I think if I were asked to convey to you a special message this Christmas, it would be that. Have faith. Remember that you are not alone. And that we, here, for example, in this, our home, are inextricably related one to another. The staff to the understaff, the understaff to the patients, the patients to the staff. Remember this as you sit by your fires with your families who have come from near and from far to share this day with you. And may you be content. And that's how the play ends. Wow. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't end there. It ends with a, there's a, there's one tiny little scene after. Sure. Well, you know, it, it is fascinating as we, as I think back to what you were saying earlier, you know, finding the human being in there. Yeah. And, uh, it's also, <laughs> this, may, this may sound a bit like a backhanded compliment, but th there's also a bit of comfort in knowing that someone like you is still challenged by these people. Oh gosh, yes. Oh boy. Am I ever, you know, I mean, it's, listen, you're, I mean, I'm, I, I always say to people, this is, you know, my, my advice to young actors, you measure your career by what you say no to. When you're 20 years old, you say no to nothing. You do everything you possibly can. When you're 67 years old, like I am, I say no to a lot of things. <laughs> I just don't have the time or the need to do certain things that, that people ask me to do. I just can't do it. Right? 
and I don't want to do it. Um, but you measure the growth of your career by what you say no to. Uh, and so for me, at my age, it's always about the character. It's about the role. Does this role interest me? Is there something that's going to challenge me in this role? Is there something that I haven't really experienced as an actor that I can dig into, um, that I feel an audience will respond to? Uh, so you're right. I mean, it's uh, it, it's endlessly challenging. There's, there's always stuff out there that you that you think, boy, that's that's, that's an interesting guy. <laughs> and this guy, this character, Root, his name is, he is a fascinating guy in this play. I mean, he is all over the place. You know? and that's that's uh, it's both entertaining and and emotionally satisfying, but also I think the audience is going to be sort of fascinated by it <laughs> in that Pinter sort of way. Hey guys, Nathan here one more time. Hope you enjoyed this excerpt. If you're not already subscribed, quick reminder to do so so that you don't miss anything ahead. And if you can take a minute to rate and review this on Google Podcasts or iTunes, that will help others find and learn more about this show. I appreciate all comments and thank you so much for doing that. Be sure to visit workingactorsjourney.com for show notes and more. And we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Nathan Agin, and thanks for listening.